Hey everyone, back again. Today I'm going to talk about Judith Jarvis Thompson's short essay titled The Defense of Abortion. Now, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. This is obviously a delicate subject. And right off the bat, content warning, we're going to be talking about sexual assault here as per Thompson's essay. And I think it's important to mention that this essay demonstrates the power of philosophy to influence policymaking because this argument is airtight uh, and I, I've really scrounged the earth to try to find a good rebuttal to this argument and I have not been able to find it. So if, if anyone happens to have a good counter argument to this, I'd like to know about it because as far as I know, it doesn't exist. And this argument is super important for people to know. And I've spoken to many anti-choice people and none of them know about this essay that, that you know, I've tried whenever I see people on the street holding those reprehensible signs, uh, screaming at women, I tend to talk to them whenever I get the chance to. And very few of them seem to know about this essay, which is interesting to me. So I think that's important for policymakers. It's important for all of us to be familiar with it in order to have a very informed understanding of this issue. Now, before jumping into it, Hi, I'm David. I try to explain philosophical concepts and ideas in ways to make them accessible to you. So if you're new, like, share, subscribe, you can see videos I release every single week. You can go check out the 250 some I already have up. Uh, if you wanna follow me, I don't think I already mentioned this, but if you wanna follow me, you can follow me on Instagram at the underscore underscore philosophy or on Twitter at David Guineo. There are links for all of these things in the description. You can also help me out by doing all those things, liking, sharing, subscribing or you can help me out monetarily via Patreon or PayPal, but obviously no pressure. If you found this on YouTube, you're gonna be able to find it in podcast form pretty much anywhere where you get podcasts, or if you found this in podcast form, you're gonna be able to find it on YouTube where there's a video, if you're into that at all. So yeah, don't wanna kind of cover any more of that stuff. Let's jump into Thompson's essay, A Defense of Abortion. Now, she begins this essay by saying that the question of abortion often hinges upon the question whether or not a fetus is a human, is a baby. And she says that this can lead down circular routes where you'll just have one person saying it's a baby, a human, the other person saying it isn't, and they don't get anywhere. And this is very much still the strategy used by anti-choice people. Many, I've talked to many of them, they still will drop science to say that science says that it's a human Therefore, abortion is morally impermissible and therefore it should be illegal. Now, Thompson says, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. How about we concede that the fetus from conception, from the moment that the seed enters the ovary, from that moment, how about we say that it is a human, full-fledged, 100% a human? How do we know that it is still morally impermissible, that it is still morally wrong to have an abortion? And by asking this question, she makes, in my mind, probably the, the strongest philosophical argument I've ever encountered. And I've encountered many of them. Now I should say that this argument only works if you believe in freedom. If you don't believe in freedom, if you think that people should just 
be absolutely subordinate to government, to authority, then you aren't going to buy this argument because you think that people should be like cattle uh, living on some kind of human farm. Specifically, if we think about like Margaret Atwood, like women just being uh, meant to give birth and that's it. If you believe in that, then you can turn this off now because there's no, you can't be swayed. If you believe in bodily autonomy though, if you believe that a human has a right to their own body, then stay tuned because you might, you might be thinking, oh well, yeah, I believe that, but I also believe that for the fetus. And in which case, please keep listening because we're going to show why that is not argument itself enough to prohibit abortion. So right here we're assuming from the moment of conception, the fetus is a human, full-fledged human with bodily autonomy, let's say. They are their own being. So to make this argument, she presents a very wacky situation. She imagines, she's, or she asks us to imagine we wake up on like a surgeon's table and we have these tubes coming out of us and there's this technology working and on another table next to us is another human lying down and they're unconscious. And we're like, we don't know what the hell is going on, right? We're just sitting there looking around, trying to make sense of the situation. And suddenly someone walks in and they say, hi, I'm the director of the Music Lovers Society. You might think the Music Lovers Society, what's that? And they go on to say, they're like, well, that person across from you, sitting on the other table, that's the greatest violinist in the world. And they, their kidneys started to fail. And we found out that you were the only person that could be connected to this person via blood type, via kidney likeness, whatever, that could keep this other person alive. So. We decided that we were going to kidnap you, we were going to restrain you, we were going to hook you up to this other person, and now you need to sit here, lie here for nine months for this other person to get better, at the end of which you can both leave and it, it'll be fine. Now we're gonna, as we go on with this argument, uh, I've come out of the, the scenario for a moment, we're gonna add little changes to accommodate certain differing arguments, but for now, this is the situation. You have to lie there for nine months. To this, you might say, well, screw that. I mean, I, I'm not gonna sit here for nine months just for this other person. And that would be a totally legitimate, immediate response. I mean, you shouldn't be obligated to be there. Like you were, you were forced to be there. You didn't decide to do this. Now, if you're an anti-choice person, it would follow that you'd have to sit there for the whole nine months. I mean. The other person is a person, they have a body, they are, they are a human, and you're giving them life, so therefore you should be obligated, like in the case of a person with a uterus with a baby, you should be obligated to keep them alive. At least if we follow along the anti-choice um, argument. But an anti-choice person might say, well, you know, you didn't choose this. You were forced into that situation to keep this other person alive. So therefore you have no obligation to do it. And that, that would make sense, I think. You know, you, you didn't consent to this. You didn't say that that was okay to happen. So therefore you shouldn't be obligated to sit there for all that time for this person. But then 
it raises the following rebuttal. Well, what about in the case of sexual assault, in which somebody is impregnated without their consent? Should they therefore be allowed to have an abortion? To say that, I didn't ask for this. I don't want this to be a part of me. Therefore, I should be able to access, without any difficulty, should be able to access an abortion or have that option made available to me. And the anti-choice person here is confronted with two choices. Either they say, no, you are not allowed in that situation to have uh, an abortion, which would mean that they think that in the case of waking up, being attached to somebody without your consent, you know, you're forced to keep them alive, that in that case, you are not allowed to disconnect either. Or if you do, you can be held accountable. You can be sent to jail, you can be imprisoned, whatever. Which would be a very strange position to hold. I mean, you didn't choose to be connected to this person, you didn't choose to be pregnant. It seems absurd that you would then be obligated to go through with it, to be, sit there for nine months and, and do it. The other possible perspective of the anti-choice person is to say, yeah, in that case, it makes sense. I mean, you didn't choose this, so therefore it should be fine. But this raises another issue, where in the case of sexual assault, or in the case of lack of consent, like with the music lover, uh, music lovers kidnapping you, attaching you to somebody else, what the anti-choice person is saying is that a baby conceived in this way via non-consensual sexual assault or just sexual assault, it's obviously non-consensual, is less worthy than a baby conceived consensually. And that raises, should raise some alarm bells at the integrity of that position in this situation, where suddenly one person, one conceived through sexual assault versus one conceived consensually are not the same people. One of them to that position is worth dying while another one is not worth dying, which is very a very tenuous uh, position, very, very weak position to hold. So it must follow then, because either stance is not going to really work out, that therefore it should be permissible in both situations. If you wake up connected to somebody else, you should not be obligated to stay there. You should not be obligated to have this happen. You should be able to disconnect yourself. Likewise, in the case of a sexual assault. Now, how about another situation? What about a situation in which a pregnant person's life is at risk because of the pregnancy, where there's gonna be a complication, and let us say that there is a 100% chance that the person, the pregnant person is going to die in order to give birth, which happens. It's very much a possibility. An extreme view would say that absolutely do nothing. The extreme anti-choice view is that it should just happen, uh, and if the pregnant person dies, the pregnant person dies, and that's it. Which, I mean, who would think that this is, it's an absurd thing to, to think. But if we entertain the idea here, because that's what we're doing, it would at least follow that you confront this situation as being comprised of two full-bodied individuals with bodily autonomy. 
the pregnant person and the baby. So, so at the very least, you should flip a coin or something, right? I mean, they're the exact same, they're weighted the exact same way. The anti-choice person will say, well, no, because to conduct an abortion is an active act of killing versus just letting someone die, which doesn't actually involve directly killing anybody. It's almost just like letting nature run its course, which seems like a maybe a fair thing to say at first, but there are some issues with it. Let's think about this music lover situation again. If And let's add the caveat that if you disconnect the other person, which was implied before, but let me just reiterate it. If you disconnect the other person, they will die. So very similarly to an abortion, if you decide to not go through with it, the other person will die, but you will live. Now, put yourself back in that situation where you are you know, lying in this table and the director of the Music Lover Society tells you, if you disconnect yourself, that person is gonna die. But if you go through with it, you're going to die and they're gonna live. In that situation, you are confronted with a threat. That thing that you are connected to, that human that you are connected to, is threatening your life. Now, it's strange to say to this person whose life is being threatened, that you are not allowed to defend yourself. I mean, who doesn't, who wouldn't allow someone to defend themselves? So it'd be totally absurd to tell somebody that they can't defend themselves. I mean, if you were at home and a, and a burglar came in, you should have the right to defend yourself from that threat. So imagine a world in which the opposite was the case, where you aren't allowed to defend yourself, where if somebody is threatening your life, if your life is at risk, if they, if you were told, you are not allowed to defend yourself. I mean, that's a scary world. That would be a world in which you are not your own person, but you are just an object, a cog in the machine. You are just subordinated to some kind of governmental authority, to some kind of other authority, who knows? And you're denied all of the options you have to maintain your own livelihood to the best of your ability, as long as it doesn't infringe upon anybody else. To this though, the anti-choice person might say, well, Fine, you're allowed to defend yourself, but at no point should somebody else be allowed to intervene, like a doctor to perform an abortion. That shouldn't be allowed because that would be like an act of killing. It seems like a good rebuttal, like fair enough, fair enough. This other person can't intervene. This other person can't participate in this situation. Now let's imagine that situation in which you are sitting at home and a burglar comes into your house and is threatening you. Should it not be the case that the police, a third party, should come and save you? Uh, I mean, this person is threatening your life. The police should be able to defend you. Or if it's a family member and you'd see somebody breaking into a family member's house, say next door, it would be strange for you to say, oh, well, I can't, I can't defend my my family member, you know, I can't defend the person whose house this is, who's being threatened by this other person, you know, because uh, that would be that would be wrong. And so with this, we see that denying a third party person to participate is a pretty weak argument to hold, uh, given the fact that this person might not actually be equipped to defend themselves with their own tools, even though they are the ones being threatened they are the one, ones who should be saved. 
Now with this being said, Thompson is super clear. No one should be obligated to actually perform, in this case, an abortion. That would go against their own right. The point is instead to keep the option open and available for somebody else to do it. So if somebody doesn't want to perform an abortion on somebody else or someone doesn't want an abortion themselves, then don't get one. It's really as simple as that. There's, there's really not much more to that situation than that. But so far we've been dealing with kind of, you know, not so common situations like the pregnant person's life is at risk or in the case of sexual assault, which is, I say it's uncommon, it is super common. How about situations in which consensual sex ensued or just people had sex? And here she imagines as well that, you know, people have sex, they don't want to have kids, uh, they don't want to get pregnant, so, you know, they use protection in all the different ways that that might manifest itself. And she says, okay, let's imagine this burglar analogy one more time. Let's say, you know, you have your house and you know that there's, there's a burglar running around. So you put up all the proper defenses, you know, you put bars on the windows, you have security cameras, and so on. But the burglar somehow finds a way in. There's like a malfunction on one of your security bars and the burglar gets in. Does that mean then that because the burglar got into your house despite your protection, that therefore they have a right to be there as though it's okay for them to be there? Now let's imagine the case of sex in which proper protection is used, yet one of those swimmers gets through and there's a pregnancy. Suddenly there's somebody else in the house. What does that mean then if we consider this analogy? Does that new person, because we have agreed it's a person, have a right to be in that house if, you know, the people clearly didn't want them there? Uh, in that case, it would seem totally strange to say, yes, of course, in this case, absolutely, they have a right to be there. But if you go down that route, you are opening the door for the idea that therefore anybody who goes anywhere is just accepted there. This is not to consider how that might infringe upon someone else's own bodily autonomy where a burglar can just go into somebody's house, steal everybody's stuff, and that'll be it. And the police will have no recourse, will have no uh, justification to stop this person because, hey, they, go they got in, uh, so despite your defenses, so therefore they have a right to be there. And she also considers uh, sort of a funny situation where she considers Henry Fonda, who's an old uh, actor in like Western films, and she says that she imagines a situation in which she's, she's about to die and she won't die if Henry Fonda just touches his, the back of his hand to her brow, just like grazes her brow. Uh, in that situation, sure, it would be nice if Henry Fonda did that for her, but he shouldn't go to prison or it shouldn't be, uh, he shouldn't be forced to do it, even though it'd be no inconvenience at all for him. The point is that it might be a morally okay, in fact, a good thing to do for him to save her life, sure. But you cannot possibly believe that he should have an obligation to do that, that he should be obligated to give himself, his body in any way, shape or form to somebody else uh, under threat of punishment, if not, because that would be to infringe upon his bodily autonomy. So what would it mean to live in a world in which 
abortion was rendered illegal. To live in a world in which people do not have the right to their own bodily autonomy. Well, it would be a world in which you are responsible for other people, for other people in such a way as to you being held accountable if you did not care for somebody else. Now, this means then, and she's really taking aim at all the anti-choice people, and this is really relevant today with what's going on in the States, she takes aim at all the anti-choice people to say to them, if you decide, if you are trying to restrict abortion, you must be prepared to be giving your body, your blood, your kidneys to any person that needs them in any situation at any point because they are a full-fledged human being. And because you believe in humans being able to live, even if it comes at the expense of yourself, you must be prepared to give yourself over to somebody else in virtually every situation. You find out there's somebody in your neighborhood that needs a kidney transplant, you must do it. You find out that there's somebody about to die on the street unless they have shelter in your home, you must do it. And these would all be fantastically moral things to do. I mean, we have to do more to take care of one another. The point is that it is opening, presenting a slippery slope for people to lose their own bodily autonomy with the risk, with the threat of being held accountable in the form of prison, in the form of other kinds of punishment that would ultimately signal they're not having access, them having their own bodily autonomy or having that not be respected. And to close this off, I think we should probably just quote uh, Jordan Peterson, you know, the charlatan who likes to take to Twitter sometimes, where on April 8th at 4.19 p.m., he tweeted, and I quote, nothing that someone else is required to provide can be a right. In this case, let's take Jordan Peterson as the preeminent primary figure, uh, arguer to be pro-choice. In that no baby has a right to a uterus that only somebody else can provide. We're just following Jordan Peterson's logic here, everybody. I mean, you know, we just take what he says to be the final word on this. Now, I want to also point out that there is something problematic at the core of these arguments. And that is because in order for them, them to be taken seriously, it took Thompson to make the, the issue not about women, to make it about something that anyone could experience, men, uh, people without uteruses, to make it about potentially everyone. Which signals to me that even though this was an issue that, you know, certainly at the time was an issue that primarily affected women, people needed a situation in which they could be implicated in order for this argument to really gain traction. Which is super concerning that it took that in order for this real plight that women for so long up till now and all people with uteruses were experiencing needed this strange obscure argument and it's a good one but the fact that their experiences that their claims to bodily autonomy were not enough is super concerning and it should demand that we reflect even on this great argument as to why we needed this argument in order for uh, people to really believe this stuff. And yeah, just wanted to mention that as well. Uh, and that's about it. If you 
like what I did, you know, you can like, share, subscribe. If you hate what I did, I'm prepared to be dragged for this. I mean, a lot of people out there don't believe in bodily autonomy who think we should live in, I don't know, some kind of fascist dictatorship where the government can tell people what to do with their bodies. Um, you know, if you want to live in that world, that's fine. Uh, if there are any other criticisms that might be more constructive, I'd love to hear about them. If anyone knows of a good rebuttal to this argument, because I have looked, I'd love to hear about it. And yeah, on that note, catch you next time. Take care.